Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your round one recap for this week's Wells Fargo Championship. And joining me to break it all down, it's Kyle Porter. KP, what up? What is up? I (laughs) sometimes feel like we have to talk about random stuff to fill up our time here. And today, I feel like we need like three times as much time to to talk about everything that's going on right now. And most of it has to do with Phil Mickelson. It it certainly does. Let's get into it. Philip Alfred Mickelson atop the leaderboard. Did you know his middle name was Alfred? I did. I did. Oh. I've, I've used it before. Yeah. I've just learned that today. Seven you know what, under. Do you know what DJ's middle name is? Uh I thought his name was, hold on. Hold on. You thought it was DJ Johnson? <laughs> yes, DJ, I could think of it. DJ Johnson. I could not think of it, but yes, DJ Johnson. <laughs> uh, uh, no, what is it? So good. Hunter. Dustin Hunter Johnson. Hunter. Oh, yeah. There you go. Perfect fit. That's great. S- opening round, 64 for Phil Mickelson. One bogey on the card, eight under. Uh, he was uh, phenomenal with the irons. He was great off the tee. He gained strokes in all four major categories in KP. If you've been paying attention, I don't think this should be that much of a surprise. We have seen trends from Phil Mickelson where the game is starting to turn around. And really, the only question was focus. That is what he told us. He was having trouble focusing. Other than that, the game has been pretty sharp. Yeah, well, the the first time it really kind of popped up was was Honda or maybe players for a little bit. I think. Um, the, so it, yes, it's not it's not shocking that he hit the ball well. Here's what is shocking, and I thought the guys on the broadcast. I think it was Faldo and and uh, maybe Terry Gannon, maybe Trevor Immelman were like cackling over i don't know if you heard this but just howling over how like strategic and smart phil was playing the course and it's like he was hitting three woods in great spots he was he was leaving himself uh you know uphill putts all these different things that you're like well this isn't really how phil has generally done it over the course of his career and it look it it wasn't i mean he he made some putts for sure but he had i think i looked it up six birdie looks inside of six feet i think that was the number and he made all of them and you're like well yeah i mean that's how you go out and shoot 64 in the first round so it was awesome and it was fun and it seemed uh very it it felt like um, like a Bryson or a, a, a John Rom or a Xander round in that you're like oh, yeah of course he shot 64 like that's just how he played and Phil's rounds even when he shoots 64 it doesn't feel like that it feels like just all over the planet and. It was just very straightforward. It's a little disconcerting how straightforward it was. Okay, so does that make you optimistic about his staying power near the top of the leaderboard? Like, I don't 
I don't know if Phil Mickelson is going to win this golf tournament. Probably not, right? The odds say someone else is going to win this golf tournament, but is is he going to play well for the rest of the week based on what we have seen, not only leading up to this event, his last six or seven starts, not only knowing how he has played historically at Quail Hollow, but then seeing it here on Thursday where he kind of managed his way around, did a good job. Are you optimistic about him keeping his name on the first page? I mean, I think so, right? Like it's not, it's... It's round one plus 10 top tens and 17 tries at, at Quell Hollow. I think, yep. I think the, I think the worry. So I don't know what to make of this focus thing. Like what, what, what is, is he bored? Is it, is it like, he, no, he's old he, Kyle. <laughs> he's well, 50. Yeah. Do you know how many, do you know how many 50 year olds have won on tour? Um, I looked it up before he would. So he would be like the eighth or ninth, I think. Right. He's the, he would he would be the eighth. He wouldn't be the oldest. Sam Snead won at fifty two. But yeah. listen, Phil just needed the he needed the hundred mil on the table, like we saw <laughs> earlier this week, and he needed to he needed to ratchet up the leverage a little bit. He, I mean, you know, he he. he did you want to Did you want to jump in there before I say something I shouldn't? Or? No, I, I want you to say whatever you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I'm halfway joking. I tweeted out a few photos, but there was apparently an offer. This was in the Telegraph, an offer of 100 mil to Phil Mickelson to come to this Super Golf League, whatever. I don't even know what it's called anymore. And uh, you know, he's he's just turning up the leverage. It's not even really about the the uh, you know the Wells Fargo. It's about gaining leverage, uh, off market leverage is what Phil's trying to get right now. The price has gone up. Uh, Phil's, <laughs> Phil's, Phil's people are uh, making phone calls as we speak because uh, the price is going up. So he's seven under 64 KH Lee in the clubhouse at 66. Uh, we still have Keegan Bradley out on the golf course. He has one more hole to play. And then we've got a plethora of names here that I don't know how awe inspiring they are. KP it's Peter Malnati. Tommy Fleetwood's here, Luke List, Gary Woodland, Keith Mitchell. I'm not sure how serious any of those guys are as contenders for the rest of the way. Yeah, I think that uh, I think Fleetwood's interesting. He he didn't play very well at the end of last year. I haven't looked at his numbers for the start of 2021, but it seems like he's been playing better. I'd have to dig into kind of his some of his strokes gain stuff um, a little bit more. But none of these guys. I mean, Woodland's been you know, whatever. Uh, Keegan's been playing well. I, I think Ke- he's interesting. Keegan is uh, one of the best players on tour right now. I'm like yeah. in the last four or five weeks. I mean, just the teeter green stuff, the putting that he's figured out. I mean, we don't even have the strokes gain metrics from Zurich where him and Brendan Steele finished fourth. Uh, people will look at last week as a failure. I look at it and say huge success. And if he continues to play like I've actually said this sentence this week, if he continues to play like he did last week, he is going to be on the first page a lot. That is the exact blueprint for Keegan Bradley. Yeah. For sure. Uh, by the way, uh, Phil gained seven point. This is data golf. Seven point eight strokes at the time we're taping this. He was plus one point five or better in every single category. <laughs> that, That'll get the I job mean, done. That does not. I mean, that doesn't happen for anybody. It definitely doesn't happen for Phil. And KH Lee was plus six putting. That's not a great sign because he was negative everywhere else. Uh, Hunter Mahan. How about him? Minus three. 
Saw that. Played well. There was a couple of guys that popped up there for at least a minute. 7.8 ga- uh, strokes gained for Phil would be his best round in my database. That goes back to 2015, so at least six years, his previous best. 6.8 at the opening round of the Valero in 2015. Does that include uh, Troon in 16? No, because the open numbers don't come over. <clears throat> yeah, okay, okay. Um, so Yeah, I mean, look, like... That, that makes sense. And it, it, you know, it, it, the crazy part, and I was kind of writing about this, I've got a recap going, but it's such a deep, like good field. And for him to contend and potentially win a tournament that he's never won at age 50, it's pretty crazy. I, I think he would be kind of a, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, sometimes all we care about is the majors. I feel like this would be kind of a big deal. Uh, I certainly think it would be, especially when, and we talked about this when, when he had his birthday, there was a lot of conversation. Like if he, if he wins again, he'd be, yeah, the eighth guy to ever do it. And when you put yourself on that short of a list for a game that has the history that it has, uh, I think it's a big deal. And you talked about the strength of this field. That's kind of the other, the other plot here is that Max Homa, uh, for the majority of his day was, was DFL, he finished uh, with a 77. That's six over. John Rahm, not much better, five over 76. Tony Finau, a couple over par. The, the big names, not really doing much, and they're going to have to have magical Fridays if they want to find the weekends. I think, uh, I mean, you're right, for sure. Rory wasn't great. I watched most of his, uh, uh, kind of the back nine of his round. Um. You know what would be fun? I was just thinking about is is a JT. Remember when JT and Phil were in that playoff in Mexico? Is JT that the one where out? JT's ball almost got stepped on? I mean, probably by like I, by like the the stuff that happens at that course is like it's, it's off the rails. That was that was such a fun event because there was no nobody had any idea what was going to happen. That was the tournament where JT hold out on the seventy second hole, right? And then yes. they, uh, they played one or two playoff holes and Phil beat him. JT missed like a not a super long putt. It was kind of weird, like the way it ended. But I think JT Phil at Quail Hollow, because they both had just great success there, would be uh, would be pretty awesome. JT, I mean, JT is there's a reason he's the, still the favorite, right? You tweeted this morning, you're hollering about him winning. Well, when the guy goes out and says, you're never that far off, especially with the putter. And we know what he did uh, last week, losing six and a half strokes. Like, yeah, th- this is this is the guy. And you're right. Our friends over at William Hill still have him as the favorite. Did William Hill get a new website? Mine looks a lot different than Jacobs does on there. Anyway, Justin Thomas, nine to one. <laughs> Phil Mickelson, nine to one. Co-favorites, Phil and JT. We might get that uh, final pairing on Sunday. Keegan Bradley, 10 to one. Victor Hovland and Bryson DeChambeau at 12. Bryson made birdie on his last hole. So he finished at, I believe, one under yeah one under 70 so those are the those are the favorites uh for the rest of the way did you see victor what victor said about quail hollow <laughs> he described it as a driving range or something <laughs> he, he said driving range golf like he's like uh it's not narrow or wide you just hit it far and go hit it again and it was kind of i mean they fight a major there i i i don't really disagree with him. It was just kind of a uh, it's kind of a drive by early on in the week. How, how does that different differ than most weeks though? Like you hit it 
and you go find it. I guess he's talking about because it's not wide or not narrow. But like, how is this? How is this that much different than most of the other courses that they play? I think you. I, I mean, I agree. I, th- I it's obviously different than like a U.S. Open or you know an Open Championship or an Augusta or what. I guess it's not that different than Augusta, but. Um, I think he's just talking about from, like he th- felt like it lacked strategy. Mm. And I guess that makes sense because we see guys that hit it a long way have a lot of success here, like Rory. Um, who else has won here? Help me out. Tiger won here. Yeah. Uh, Day. Jason Day. There you go. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think all those guys, I think it's fascinating that Phil that uh, Phil and JT are the same number and that Phil is I I like if that was Stuart Sink who shot well, that's a bad example. Who's somebody that's in their 50s that uh could have gone out and shot 64? If that was Jim Furyk, would he be 9 to 1? I feel like that's a little bit of a name deal, right? Yeah, Phil, Phil Fowler, Tiger always like more public than they should be. So always shorter than they should be. I agree with you. Furyk would not be, would not be like the favorite in the situation, or at least not be co-favorites with JT. JT would be shorter. If you had to pick somebody on this screen right now, if you're watching on YouTube, we're looking, or if you're listening, I guess we're we're looking at the top, whatever twenty guys. Uh, who who would you put put some nugs on? Um, Keegan. <laughs> Keegan's really? Keegan's yeah he's knocking Keegan's doing it Keegan is laying the blueprint uh he's won before he was just in the heat of it last week I I like that and the other one would be uh probably Corey Connors who was plus four and a half strokes from T to green and lost a stroke and a half on the greens um yeah, and I he's just been he's just been and I don't think people realize and I didn't even realize it until I kind of dug in on this week, if you basically, however you want to sort the strokes gained off the T numbers for the last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 rounds, it's Bryson. And then it's Corey Connors. He's just, he's that good. Yeah. He's been awesome. Did you see Jason Duffner's, uh, strokes gain stuff on Thursday? I I saw that he, I saw that I had to double check. I didn't think it was right. He gained five (laughs) and a half on approach and then punted four on, on, on the greens. Yeah, but and he was he was a zero. Uh, he was basically zero off the tee and around the greens. That seems like that that's the one you should check your database for. That's that seems impossible. Like both those number. How, did he miss like four two footers? I mean, I, I don't I don't understand how that's even even feasible. He had to. I mean, he kind of did this. Okay, so <laughs> it was not as exaggerated, but he lost four point seven. In so now he's going, oh my god, okay. So he lost 4.7 in the final round at Valspar and another 4. what today? 4.2 today. So, yeah, in back to back rounds, he's lost over four strokes putting. It's like one Keith Mitchell round, right? (laughs) That's right, one Keith Mitchell round, (laughs) two Jason (laughs) Duffner rounds. All right, here's what we're gonna do. We're actually going to take a break because we got to come back and talk about what the heck is going on in the world of golf between the PGL, the SGL. Are they different? Are they the same? And what that means for the PGA Tour. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. 
Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. And we're back. It's been a couple of months, KP, I guess, since we've talked about the PGL, the premier golf league, this outside external threat to the PGA Tour that is willing to throw money at some of the bigger names to get them to come over and play what is essentially a 18-event schedule. There might be a team aspect of it. The details get blurry after that. Uh, but then we also have this, this new resurgence this week about the Saudis uh, trying to get involved in this, which is apparently not the PGL. It is the SGL, the Super Golf League. And there was an article from Alan Shipnuck who kind of went into this on, on the Fire Pit Collective about uh, how this is different, uh, how it's the same. But at the end of the day, uh, it is throwing a lot of money at the top players to try to break off and do their own thing. Yeah, it was interesting because ooh, I, from what I understood before I read the Shipnuck piece, and it was it was well reported, there was a lot in there about uh, the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia, which was interesting. I don't know if it was super relevant to kind of the conversation that we're having. I guess it's relevant. I, people should go read it. But I think... it. <clears throat> Correct me if I'm wrong, but we had been conflating. I, I I had always thought that there was just one league, right? Like it was, right. it, and I didn't know. Like it, it was like, well, it's funded by these guys and these guys, but not these guys. And I was like, I don't really care who it's funded by. I guess. I mean, I I, I do care. I don't care that it had changed. I guess is what I'm saying. Like I don't care if somebody dropped out and somebody else is fronting the money. It's not really a huge deal to me. But then. When Shipnut kind of framed it as like, hey, the PGL, this premier golf league is, I think he wrote American and European uh, backers, investors, banks. I, I don't, again, it doesn't really matter to me. And the Super Golf League, which was the information that came out this week, is essentially all these, these uh, for lack of a better term, higher ups in the Saudi government and and uh, representatives from over there, and those are actually competing against each other. That actually does matter, and that like like pitting those two things against each other is one good for the for the PGL, which again is the American and European side, because it it makes them look a lot more attractive to oh, and you legitimate. And and legitimate to you and I, to players, to whoever. Um, and it, it like the, the separation of those two entities definitely matters. And I, and I hope that people can kind of read between the lines of, of why it matters and Shipnuck laid it out, but I, I think it's, I think it's very important. There's a quote in the Shipnuck article, and he's quoting a PGL investor that says, quote, they 100% stole our idea, end quote, which is when I realized that these were two different things because I was not treating them that way beforehand. Yeah. And uh, stole our idea is kind of like, well, I mean, okay. Uh, yeah. It's not like you invented, you know, the iPhone something. or whatever. Okay. Facebook. <laughs> this isn't Facebook. You're not the Winklevoss twins. Uh, or maybe maybe they are. Maybe maybe they actually might the, be. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's who the PGL is. But when I was reading what he wrote and he laid out the PGL stuff, I was like, oh, that that sounds 
that sounds, sounds like something I I would be interested in. You know, it was this eighteen tournament schedule and forty eight team or forty eight guys, but like the team and and we had known a lot of that. But when you when you again like this is a win for the PGL because when you pit it against like hey, there's a bunch of money flowing out of Saudi Arabia, literally and figuratively, um, by these guys that are maybe not the people you want to get in bed with. Uh, suddenly this, this PGL thing looks way more attractive than it used to. You can, you can money grab, um, uh, Saudi blood oil money, or you can money grab investor banking European <laughs> money. Like <laughs> it's still a money grab, right? Rory's Rory's quote is, is, is still true. I mean, I, whether it is the PGL, whether it is the SGL, I, I, I think it's a, a fairly significant threat that is not going away to the PGA Tour. I think that um, the, the 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 defense that the PGA is trying to put up there are these little things to to guarantee players more money. And I don't think that the current crop of players, and I could be wrong, outside of maybe Rory McIlroy, care as much about the prestige of those that came before them that would that wouldn't be solved with fifty million dollars. Well, uh, Brendan Porath brought this up on the Shotgun Star podcast. It's like we're talking about prestige, and then we're also talking about like the FedEx Cup, right? And it's like, well, that was invented like what fifteen years ago, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, I, I actually feel like this is it makes it a little bit more dangerous. I think that there's actually two entities because the Saudi thing. Again, like it almost uh, enhances what the PGL is offering. Because I think even earlier this week, I think we were all like, nah, I don't know, like the Saudis and like this feels like just, I don't know. It feels weird. It feels like a pipe dream. It feels like kind of a non starter. And now you're like, I don't know. I mean, I think it, I think it, man, I think it matters that. If you look at PGA Tour, Augusta National, USGA, RNA, PGA of America, if those are your five entities, mm-hmm. and the other four that are not the PGA Tour could just come out and say, hey, if you go here, you're not playing in our events, mm-hmm. then it's all over. Like, that's right. it. That's the right. end. But they haven't. And I don't, I don't know why. Like, I, I really don't know why. And I think that... I don't know. It does. It feels like we are going to continue to talk about this in maybe more realistic ways over the next few months and years. Yeah, and because there is. How about this? Real, real quick. Sorry, uh, no. DJ Pihowski. I think he tweeted this out. I hope he tweeted this out. Uh, <laughs> was ta- was talking about how like the PGL can start even if they don't get the top fifty guys in the world. Right. You can you can you can build it up in Asia or Europe or wherever. And then in 20 years, maybe it's like a big deal. Right. Like I think we think of like these leagues as like, oh, well, the NBA will just go on forever. Maybe the NFL will just go on forever. I mean, probably, probably, but maybe not like they've only been around for 50 years. So we act like they, we act like these leagues have been around for, and will go on for into eternity. And that's just not true. 
I, I made that argument a couple of days ago where it was like, we have a somewhat recent example of this, the NFL and the AFL, right? Like, like that is 50 years old. That is not that yeah. long ago that now the largest sport that we have in America, football, the NFL, uh, only, only existed you know, starting 50 years ago. And I, I think that's, that's a good point. You could prove the concept with the PGL. I think that, um, here, here's the scary part here. Here's what would be incredibly attractive for the PGL is if you could have an 18 event schedule plus the like three marquee events, right? Like they could go play the masters. They could go play the open championship. Like what I'm not sure. I think that would be very enticing to a lot of players. And I don't know who you need and how many you need for it to be a big deal, but like that would be pretty enticing. Well, and, and, and if you're, if you're saying, Hey, we're going to play 54 whole events and you're not going to have to slog your way through, you know, I'm not going to say I, every time I say a city, I get, you know, <laughs> say uh, a city just, right now. <laughs> I'm not going to say any city, but <laughs> <laughs> you're not you're not like you know slogging your way through the humidity at any place in now the weather people are going to come after you for knocking humidity you know how valuable that is to our ecosystem you know what I'm Here, here's the thing though uh, the pj tour has a couple things going for it one is safety right and and if we know anything about these uh, about professional golfers they are risk averse right yeah. like they do not they do not like risk they do not like exposure uh that's why there's so few guys that it, it, it's just they they don't like risk and this is a risky thing and the other thing is that i was thinking about is it's a little bit like um and i don't know if this is something the pga tour has going for it or I don't, I don't know what this is it's just a thought i had it feels a little like the bcs against like a playoff system uh, not the bcs excuse me the bowl system versus a playoff system jacob can hit the the drop on that if we want to do the the playoffs playoffs he's asleep in the playoffs <laughs> so it's the bowl system against the playoff system the bowl system is insane like it's just it's a free-for-all it's a circus and the playoff system you're like okay well there's order to that it makes sense but you know what like has kind of uh happened over the course of the playoff system is the bowl thing is kind of more fun Right. Like you, you look back at the you look back at the bowl stuff and you're like, I don't know, that was kind of like goofy and crazy and fun. And I think that I mean, there's a million different things that you could talk about with what's going on with all this stuff. But sometimes like is what is what the PGA Tour is doing perfect? No, of course not. Could it be improved? Yes, always. But it's also like. I don't know, man. Like I, I have fun with all this from week to week, you know? And, and it, is that true in the middle of the summer when we're doing something on colonial and there's nobody playing? Yeah, maybe not. But I, I just, I don't know that the evolution of it is necessarily better. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm completely wrong about that, but I, I think there's some, it, it, the next thing is not always the best thing. And I think that's something to keep in mind. And I, I don't know how you like, uh, voice that as the tour. I don't know if you even can. I think some players are kind of hitting on it a little bit, but they're not getting to the heart of it. And I don't know. I think that's one thing that uh, there's a ton of flaws with everything that happens in professional golf on all tours, PGA tour, European tour, whatever. But 
it's it's worked really well also and it's been a lot of fun so i, I don't know I, does that resonate like does that make sense what i'm saying yeah, I think there is. Um, it's like when you have a buddy who's an idiot and you can call him an idiot, but nobody else can call him an idiot because he's our buddy and he's our idiot. It's like it's our quirky system. It's it's the way that we do it. Uh, we still love it. We know it has its flaws and all that stuff. I, I get that. And I think as long as – and I think the PGA Tour – listen, I'm a huge advocate for competition. I think we have already seen the PGA Tour having to start to be a bit more flexible, be – I mean – I have a lot of issues with the tour, the way they handle their data, the way they've handled their social media, the way they haven't showed a bad shot, but they have started to go in the right direction on a lot of these things. And being pushed that way is never a bad thing. Like I'm, I'm in favor of threats. I think that's good. Uh, at the end of the day, we're going to get a better product. The PGA tour still to this point has Rory McIlroy in their corner, which is the most valuable asset that they have. And as long as they keep him happy, they're probably going to uh, keep this monopoly that they have. But I like outside threats given a little kick in the butt i'm cool with that it's a great it's a great call it's a great point and somebody else brought this up but like the the you know who's like the big winner in all this is the four majors because (laughs) the way that everybody's talking about all this stuff is it revolves around the majors right oh well you can't do this because of the Ryder Cup or the Masters can't do this because the U.S. Open and it's like there's their status has just they haven't even done anything. I mean they've literally done nothing, and it's been elevated, you know, maybe minutely so, but they've kind of walked away the the winners in this last few weeks of discussion. Yeah, it's true. It's true. There is probably going to be uh, many more weeks of discussion, and it seems like this information is changing rapidly. And we went through a, a time where there was no talk about the PGL, and it's ramping up. So I don't think this is the last conversation we are going to have about that. But KP, before we wrap up our Wells Fargo Championship Round 1 recap slash Super League PGL talk, anything else? No, I think that's it. Keegan's in at five under, so he's tied to KH Lee. Uh, so Phil remains two. It's it's, it's going to be fun. I mean, I hope that I, again. I hope it's Phil and and uh, JT. I think that would be. Uh, I think that'd be pretty awesome. The forecast is uh, not great for the afternoon, guys. On Friday, winds are coming. If that stays up, it is going to be white knuckling it around uh, around the course all day on Friday. So we'll have to keep an eye out for that. I think that'll do it. Producer Jacob, thank you very much. Doing all the hard work behind the scenes. That right there, that's Kyle Porter. You can follow him on Twitter at Kyle Porter CBS. You can follow me at Rick Run Good. This has been the first cut, and we'll catch you next time. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.